Welcome to The Last American Vagabond. Joining me today to touch base on some of the excellent work he's been conducting and an update on his run for the mayoral candidacy of Houston and what has followed in the lawsuit that he is waging against them for many different reasons is Derek Rose here to discuss all this. And it's always good to touch base with him because he's doing excellent work in the field. How are you, Derek? Hey, I'm great, brother. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's good to touch base in general. And, and I hope people have been keeping an eye on the different you know, the, the kind of journalism that we don't see as much anymore, right? Where you're going into places where they know you're, they don't want you to be and asking the questions they don't want you to ask. I just want to give you a shout out for that. I do think that's important work. And you've got some some pretty entertaining, but also very important things in, in, in recent times. You know, that good, good shout out yeah. on that. I appreciate that, man. It's important to go out there. I, I want to encourage you know anyone else out there who's whether they're doing what we're doing or they're just somebody who's watching from the sidelines and wants to get involved. Pick up a camera, go out there, talk to people, whether it's confronting politicians or just going out and talking to people in your community. We need more of that. Yeah, yeah. It's always such a, especially today, such an obvious example of how it's how just uncomfortable uncomfortable it makes anybody to ask the most basic questions in these controlled arenas where they're all going, yay, we all agree with everything you're saying. And somebody steps in and just goes, but what about this obvious thing? And they're like, no, get out of here. I just think it's it's very stark today. You know, it's always been there, but you keep seeing these things where just like, you know, what about a ceasefire? Yeah, the, I, on my mind actually is a, a clip I just saw today from a, uh, it was, I think it, it was a member of, of uh, uh, was it Jew? Uh, I think it was just Jews for Peace or Jewish something for Peace. I forget the the name of the group, but she was a rabbi and just stood up at Durgan's Biden speech and said, "You know, I'm a rabbi and and I think that we should call for a ceasefire." The, the response from people, it's just like you're you're a rabbi and you're calling for a ceasefire. Like, how is that? And people are like, "Get out of here!" Like, just screaming at this. People have kind of lost it on a lot of these topics. So yeah. that, that's what I mean. Is it's important that we keep doing that. So thank you for doing that in general. Um, you know, on on the note in general uh, of what we often see in those venues, the kind of deliberate misinformation just kind of laid out in a screed of just nonstop narrative control. Like let, we were going to start today with this excellent article. We're going to talk about a few different uh, of your, your recent articles doing excellent work in general called a profile of a misinformation expert, Brandy uh, Zadrozny. Uh, Zadrozny. Is that, is that pronounced correctly? Yeah. Just Zadrozny, Zadrozny, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, it's such an interesting conversation about, you know, I mean, as always, like, I, I honestly don't know whether I would even engage with an interview with somebody in these positions today, just because as you continue to show, or Vanessa Bealey, that no matter what lengths you take, you record it on your end, they'll always go to the greatest lengths to try to frame you as exactly the way they want you to look, which is just so counter to any re- concept of journalism. But so it's, it's such an interesting thing about how this went down and then just how blatant it is. And I thought the, one of the main points you make in this is how it's, you know, in her mind, it's not news unless authority confirms it, which in, in challenges the entire concept of what we understand to be journalism is speaking truth to power. And she's like, well, power has to tell us it's truth first. <laughs> I just want it to be hilarious. So start wherever you want with this. I found this to be really, really entertaining and interesting at the same time. Yeah, so I appreciate that, brother. And yeah, I mean, that, that definitely is one of the main points we're going to hit on here. Um, I'll just give a little bit of background. So the woman you're looking at, for those who are seeing her face on screen, or just Brandy Zadrozny, if you look her up, she is listed as NBC, which is obviously one of the big five media companies in the world, NBC uh, senior reporter, and specifically she's promoted as disinformation expert. Her whole uh, beat, or misinformation expert, her whole beat, if you go look at her author page on NBC, is all about exploring conspiracies and specifically making conspiracies look crazy and making people who question things look crazy. So that means quote unquote, anti-vaxxers, 
quote unquote COVID deniers, et cetera, et cetera. Like that's her whole beat. That's the whole thing she spends her time on. And then she gets brought on CNN, NBC, and affiliates as, well, here's our senior reporter and misinformation expert to tell us why that thing you shouldn't think about is crazy and all your friends and family are nuts for believing it. You know, it's like that's the, the specific role that she plays. You could also, I think, label her a fact checker which is something that we've become more and more familiar with the last couple of years. She, I mean, I guess she is a corporate fact checker in terms of she works for a corporation. That's not her full-time job in terms of like, you're not going to get a email from Brandy Zadrozny saying, Hey, we fact checked your article and it doesn't line up for this or that reason. But my point is that's the role she's playing. Nonetheless, she is being promoted as an expert, as somebody we should look to and defer to who understands these crazy conspiracy theories and how they infect the minds of poor uh, you know, Americans who've been taken advantage. Like that's the whole storyline they kind of weave with this. So I had become aware of her probably late last year because she's just making the rounds. She's out there. She's, you know, poo-pooing on everything we talk about. These guys are crazy, COVID denial, vaccinations, et cetera. Well, she reached out to me, her and her, you know, one of her producers or other journalist colleagues reached out to me in February and basically said, I'm working on a story about uh, the uh, David Hamblin trial, David Hamblin case, which we've been pretty much exclusively following here on T-Lab for the very beginning. There haven't been too many other people picking up those threads. I mean, people have interviewed me to talk about it, but nobody has been consistently on the case. Like I know I have been in the way that we've been reporting on it here. So it makes sense that she would reach out to me. Also, as I mentioned in this article, and you might remember this, Ryan, that and anybody who follows my articles regularly might remember this. Last year, I wrote an article called Revisiting, or maybe it was even earlier this year, I think it was revisiting the, the satanic panic. Um, are the children lying? It was something along those lines. And this basically came after a source had sent us a tape of some old nineties. Um, we got multiple tapes last year. Actually, it was a good year for sources sending us stuff. So there was uh, a tape of a nineties um, reporter from Oklahoma city talking about the satanic panic and kind of revisiting it. Well, we made those public for the first time. I published them. The point I'm making here is that we've been talking about this like idea of, is, was it really a satanic panic or a moral panic? Or were there really cults in doing things in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s that got covered up? And by and large, I think there's some truth in some areas and there's probably some you know lies or just confusion in other areas. It's, I wouldn't say every incident happened in between the 70s and 90s was satanic or cults or whatever. But clearly, there were examples of that. And I've documented that with the Finders. We've documented that with the Franklin scandal. We've documented that with so many other cases. So that article right there, Are the Children Lying? Reexamining the Satanic Panic, was my way of talking about that, but also addressing previous work that Brandy Zadrozny had done. So Brandy Zadrozny had written one single article for NBC about the David Hamblin lawsuit. But she essentially used this article to just make fun of it and waited till... 11 paragraphs down to say, oh, by the way, there is an investigation by the Utah County Sheriff's Office. So her whole point in writing this article was, of course, to do what she does, to be this misinformation expert. And in fact, and I hope I'm not getting too much in the weeds, but for those who understand the David Hamblin trial, David Hamblin, disgraced ex-therapist in Utah, who's now been accused of sodomizing multiple children, as well as his ex-wife has been arrested. There's you know, accusations of cult rings. There's clear accusations in the alleged victim's own words of Satanism, Luciferianism, worship, and prayer, all kinds of stuff. Those aren't my words. Those are the victim's words. The point is, Brandy Zajazny dismissed all that and used her NBC article to sort of make fun of the case and say, this is just another example of how uh, those Republicans out in Utah have become infected with QAnon, Satanic Panic 2.0. Oh, by the way, 11 paragraphs later, oh, there is an investigation going on, but you know, ignore that. 
And so I've, I've been aware of her because of all that stuff. All that happened before I ever spoke with her. So by the time she reached out to me in February of this year, I was well aware, okay, Brandy Zadrozny's reaching out to me. This is probably going to be a hit piece. This is probably her reaching out to me to talk to me and see how what kind of crazy things she can get out of me and then write an article on me. Well, we are now in November and she hasn't written a single thing about me. She hasn't released it. We ended up speaking and we spoke for, I think it came out to about 45 minutes, me, her, and then her silent producer who didn't say anything or show her face. And of course I was smart enough to record the entire conversation. And I basically have just been sitting on it for this whole year until I wrote that in in October, because I was like, you know what, at this point, if she's not going to say anything about me, maybe she will still later. But I just felt like, I'm sitting on what I think is a gold mine of a psychological study and how these people operate, you know, and I, that's what this article is basically about is dissecting the different points that she kind of makes. And really in her statements, she reveals how at the very least her, but I would, I would wager most mainstream journalists are already conditioned to have an authority bias. Right. Right. Well, before we even get to that central point and the quotes you put in there, you know, it's, what's interesting is, my opinion would be that the only reason this didn't come out is because it with the Jews <laughs> squeeze. Right. So, I mean, in, instead of coming out and going, looks like Derek was correct. <laughs> they just don't talk about it because it seems in my opinion, the only objective was to downplay and to dismiss yeah. and to disparage. Right. So the, when they dig into it and they go, well, it's really difficult to make him look crazy when he's sticking to the facts and you can prove that there is an investigation literally rooted in provable information and people have already been arrested it's going to make them look bad. So they just shelve it. Right. I think that that'd be my opinion, obviously. But I mean, if they did the time and they interviewed you and there's information, why would it not get discussed? Especially if she's still putting forward the idea that this is not real. And it's satan. I mean, it would seem that's exactly what the objective would be. Right. I just think that says a lot in my personal opinion. And before, before we go forward, well, unless you had to comment on that, any comments there. Okay. Well, I was going to add that it's interesting. There's been a lot of conversation around this idea. I think, um, even people like Dr. Robert Malone, or I think who was it? Somebody, I think it was Dr. Peter McCullough, been really kind of hammering this idea of what a misinformation or even just what misinformation is. It's kind of a manipulation in and of itself, right? Like the yeah. idea is people have different opinions. And of course, yes, people can lie, but to label it as misinformation is sort of just, it's, it's a, it's a, disparage i mean it's meant to manipulate people's opinions of information you know and i think that's the important part about this it's just all data right i think that's what we're always talking about there's different data points and this is how you juxtapose it and it looks different from different angles and everyone's gonna have different opinions you know and so the idea is all they're doing is creating this like you know thou shall not pass like this is the unallowable information and obviously we've seen that they've often put things in that category that we later proved to be true you know and so it's just very frustrating and then I love how the idea is that you can almost look at the term as exactly what it sounds. You're a misinformation expert. You're an expert in misinforming people. That's how I look at exactly. it. <laughs> exactly. That, that's, that's probably the only way the label should really apply to somebody like Brandy Zadrazny. And I think you make a good point. You know, there's a, for those who know the, the podcaster, Tom Woods, he has this phrase that he uses at the beginning of his show. Where he says, there's a three by five card of allowable opinion. And he you know, goes beyond that, but that's kind of what I think it comes to with journalism. Like, okay, Israel good. Yeah, that's on the card. You know, nuance in the Israel-Palestine conflict, not allowed in there. Discussing real case. You know, there's like these topics that are, there's what some people refer to as a third rail. You can't touch it. It's not allowed in there. And whether somebody has literally come up to a Brandy Zadrozny and and what she really represents, because really she's a representative of the rest of this kind of, um, you know, journalistic class who are, uh, they, they see themselves, I think, like these are Yale graduates. And again, nothing against Yale, nothing against Harvard. 
But we also know that's where the secret societies go back to. That's where high society comes from. There's a lot of connections people make there. And there, at least again, in my perspective, there does tend to be a view from some of those individuals that they are above the average people and that they need to filter truth down to us, you know, that they are the only ones that can really get the, you know, to the heart of the matter. And so crazy, silly Republicans are believing in QAnon, but let me help them see the real light and real truth, right? So I think that's really what her job is. Um, as, as like a gatekeeper. I mean, and they do have a very exactly. elitist mindset, but, and it doesn't have to be conspiratorial in, you know, whether, however you want to view that term. It, it's just that we, it's very easy to prove that people, you know, where, where it's, whether it's nepotism or just the idea that, oh, we went to Harvard, so I'll hire you first kind of, this is all classic understanding. Exactly. And everybody does this at different levels of their life. So it's, it's very clear sure. to see that you have people in power that end up kind of collecting in their own circles and then they end up having their own group think. I mean, this is just basic psychology, right? And so it's so strange that we were like, oh, but not with in that group the the you know what's yeah. the term they use the i don't know just as yes, you term the predator class but in their their mind it's a good thing you know that we have we're the yeah. arbiters of truth because we know better because we're smarter than you it's, it's frustrating but um, yeah and you know the whole thing as well is like you said this is all about reality filtering and i think that's the yeah. important thing too is that what's happening here is it, it is what you said it's on one level it's probably old friends you're like hey you see these silly conspiracy theorists well we all know each other let's write this piece or put out this podcast or this interview and kind of laugh at them and we'll tell them what the truth is. I think in the case of Brandy Zadrazny, this is a question I got a couple of times from people. I honestly can't tell if she believes her own BS or if she is uh, cognizant of shoveling lies down people's throats because she seemed to genuinely believe it when I, and, and again, in the article, I put the entire interview so you can watch or listen to the whole thing and you can see her facial reactions. There, I, do, I, th I do think she is an intelligent woman who was trying to be a little manipulative to me. It felt like at times, and this is going to be sound kind of weird, but I felt like at times she was trying to be flirtatious with me. She was like commenting on my hair or just trying to like get my guard down, I guess you could Disarming. say, you know, and yeah. like, exactly like, Hey, you know, we're friends and we're buddies. But then at the same time, like try to suss some crazy out of me and whatever. And it didn't work. And, you know, anyway, so let's, let's go forward. Like the main key points I want to make. And the reason I think this interview and this article are worth reading. And the reason I took time to write this article and to literally quote from my own interview is because I thought, okay, it's out there in video form, but maybe some people aren't going to watch to the very end, which is where I think the crucial pieces of knowledge come from. And so I wanted to turn into an article. And basically what you have here is that Brandy Zadrazny, as we've already mentioned, she downplays anything relating to satanic panic. She downplays, uh, on one hand, she says she wants to believe women. She's like, I'm a mother and I'm a woman. So of course I want to believe women. But when people mention rituals or mention satanic, you know, my ears perk up. She's like, she says something in there about like, well, it sounds like you're thinking the CIA. Basically, that's her line in the sand. And that's fine. Everybody's got different lines. And she's like, you know, that that's what I believe you're crazy. And I don't, you know, I don't listen anymore, I guess. Just really quickly, like, I just take issue. I mean, it's so hilarious how the foundational starting point, I want to believe women. It's like, what does that statement even mean? So you're supposed <laughs> to just believe women? Like, it stems back from Kavanaugh, right? Like, I made fun of it then. Exactly. So they can't lie. They can't be mistaken. Like, it's just such an inherently stupid thing. It shows you that they're guided by not not the truth right like that she's trying to like balance her blinds that she's supposed to believe women with the idea that she's also blindly supposed to dismiss anything in this topic it's like she's like having her own form of cognitive dissonance it's kind of <laughs> hilarious but i just I, I just i had to point that out i find that in, inherent no, i think that i think that's exactly what you're pointing to what you're pointing to is exactly what she's talking about i uh, knowing her um which i don't know her personally but seeing her social media seeing what she writes about I would 100% believe she is one of those women in the kind of post Kavanaugh, po uh, you know, Me Too era is like, believe all women, that kind of phrase, which I've always had problems with because obviously women can lie just like a man or anything else. Right. 
um, as we've found out with different incidences. Um, and, you know, so we get into that and, and there, there are some, I think there are some points I want to give her credit. There are some points that she brings up that I do think journalists in our community or those who are pursuing knowledge, maybe who don't even see themselves as journalists could take some, some lessons from. And that is that um, she does kind of say like, don't you see the danger to me? And like, okay, well, let me just give the specifics. Mm-hmm. When I interviewed Kate Talley, who I, it was part of my ongoing investigation, you know, we've released a dozen reports at this point, or maybe 10 or so. And Kate Talley was one of the victims who knew David Hamblin, who is the accused disgrace therapist, who had, we know for a fact has admitted to abusing his own daughters. And now he's right. being accused of abusing other people. And he was accused back in 2012. Kate came forward. She reached out to us. She gave me her story. We did a two-part series called Kate's Story. Um, Brandy Zdrozny read that. And she said, you know, she thought the first part was, um, you know, based on pure fact. And, you know, it, it's there's truth there. And then she says, but when you got into your second part where, you know, she talks about uh, being abused by people within the Mormon church, all of a sudden that's like too far of a line for her to go, right? And so that's when she gets into like, look, I want to believe women. I want to believe, you know, people who say they're victims. But again, the satanic, the uh, uh, the kind of cult mention is just is what turns her off. But and here's where I want to give her credit. There's this quote where she says, uh, "When I asked her, I said, what would it take for you guys to to cover this? Like, you know, it's in court now. Is that is that worthy reporting? And would you report on it or, re- or ignore it just because somebody claims they were abused by you know by somebody having to do a Satan or Luciferian cult? Like." You know, on one hand, if you have a, a evidence of abuse, are you ready to report that? But then if the victim says, hey, there was also some Satanism involved, do you then just completely ignore the story? And what she said to me, which I think is important, she says, I think in terms of coverage, what's important is that one, someone with some sort of authority feels that they are real, that these are allegations we should look into. We'll get back to that, you know, bombshell of a statement in a moment. But yeah. she says to me, the, the victim's statements they are alleging mass murder on a grand scale. They are alleging that basically the whole city was cabal of child molesters and Luciferians. And she continues, she says, I think there's sort of a place that you have to reach because if we write David Levitt is a being accused of pedophilia, if we put these allegations out and if we entertain them as believable, just because someone says them, there's still a victim there. There's someone hurting because now their name is out there as an abuser or a cult member. We have to be a little careful, right? especially with the internet, these accusations can have insane, terrible effects on people's lives. And I 100% agree with that. I do think we need to be careful. And at the same time, just as one example, um, to anybody who pays attention to celebrity stuff, Jonathan Majors, actor in the MCU universe, he's currently about to start a trial being accused of domestic abuse. But in our society, even though he hasn't even gone to, to trial yet, He's supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. He's already been dropped by a number of his uh, talent agencies. Movies are dropping him. So clearly in our society, we don't operate by that, you know, kind of, and I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying in one hand, Brandy is a drowsy, like, well, if we put accusations out there, because I will make this clear too, in every single one of my articles, I never once said that David Levitt was guilty or even that David Hamlet was guilty. We've always said these are alleged abuse claims and that these are alleged victims. And that is the way that you responsibly report about something that we don't know if it's happening. And yet it is still newsworthy. We don't know if if David Hamblin was involved in satanic abuse or ritual abuse, but we know that he's being arrested for sodomizing children. We know that some of the victims have claimed these things. So wouldn't it be irresponsible for me to just leave out some of those details because they don't fit with my pre, you know, aligned views. Yeah. Well, I mean, and obviously, and you've made this point many times that, you know, that she's more than happy in many examples or many other people in this field are more than happy to blindly take 
Ukraine says Russia did X, Y, and Z. They blindly report that without knowing, without any other authority to back it up. And it's just, the, it's a, it's a very hypocritical stance, but I, I do want to point out one thing in general about the idea of, you know, free speech, right? Is that I, I very much agree with what she said, just like you did the idea that we should be careful. You know, we need to make sure we're not just saying things that are completely unverified because, you know, it, as a journalist, but I would still say journalist or individual, you still have a right to say whatever you want, including like, I mean, this, this is an interesting conversation, probably for more of an like an uh, intellectual, like free speech debate. But even coming to the line of like libel, right, these kind of arguments, it's like, well, if we're going to be an absolutist in free speech, the idea would be technically you can say whatever you want, even if that's some kind of derogatory statement. But there's now laws that we could argue that then, you know, but my point would be that you have a right to say these things. And just because you might be incorrect, we shouldn't shy away from. You know, my point is I protect people's right to be able to be wrong. But with your point, I, I strongly agree with that, that we have to be responsible about the way we present this stuff. But I would argue that she's doing the exact same thing in reverse, which I think you agree with, by almost in, inherently ignoring things in a way that's what we pointed out to begin with, that she would blindly take at face value should the U.S. or Israel or Ukraine say that they were the case. And that's kind of the same point we're making, right? The authority being behind it. It's very strange. Exactly. And I think that, you know, just to kind of put it another way as well, like on one end of the extreme, like on one end of the spectrum extreme, you have somebody who uh, maybe doesn't consider themselves a journalist or maybe they wear that title even. Maybe that would make it worse. Like I'm a journalist, but they're on the extreme of any rumor they hear on Twitter. That's a video worth making. That's an article worth making. Any, you know, comment section about I heard this thing about this thing. And we've seen people like this who make content based on little to no facts or they claim they have this secret hidden super special source and stuff like that. And, you know, people like me and you, I would say, and probably most of our audience are skeptical towards claims like that that are just out there extreme. And they could end up becoming fact, but at the moment there's no data behind them, right? And then you have the other end of the extreme, which is a Brandy Zadrozny, who's saying, we don't report anything until the authorities tell us that it's real. Like, no longer are you an investigative journalist who digs to confirm facts based on hunches and, and circumstantial evidence. And, you know, sources or, or things you've heard and try to verify if that's true. And then, well, actually, it turned out not to be true. There's no story here. Instead, you're like, I'll just stand back on the sidelines and wait until somebody that I deem to be an authority says, go ahead. You can get in the game now and start reporting now that we've got all the facts there for you. Right. So I think that's hugely problematic. But I did want to give her credit for that. So and I, I think I'm glad that you agree as well, because we've talked about this over the years, Ryan, that I and I think both of us are. um critical of the overall broader movement, independent media movement of the, some circles of the movement, some corners of the movement don't have as much credibility or care for credibility and care for um, facts and for being correct and stuff. And so I think that unfortunately those type of individuals, the QAnons and the people who follow that whole line of uh, lack of critical thinking, they give fuel to people like Brandy Zadrozny to kind of say, that's what we all do. We're all just a bunch of conspiracy theorists and you know, lump us all together. Let me ask you this. So it's an interesting discussion, right? The the idea of the QAnon or this whole discussion. I mean, I think, uh, of course, I just lost lost my train of thought. What? Damn it! All these interruptions. <laughs> I know. It was uh, uh, about well, what's the point you just made? I was describing the the extreme like end. Like one end is the QAnon side of things, and then the other end is Brandy Zadrozny and don't trust anything until authorities say so. And just kind of battling that within the independent media of those who, who don't stick to facts or are loose with the facts. Oh yes. Right. So, so let, let me ask you this. 
it's an interesting conversation with all of the misinformation or people that could just be wrong or, you know, so I, I think what's, I think we can prove to a degree that whether it's Brandy herself, there's some level of this that is utilizing either people that are just not critical thinkers that are pr- pr- putting forward misinformation or whatever you want to call it, or people that are deliberately doing so in order to use against people like us. I guess I want your thoughts just kind of briefly on, on whether you think that is a, how, to what degree you think that's happening? Because I believe quite strongly that there are people I don't, I don't, I, I would never be able to prove in this moment, which ones I think, or which ones are just bad at their job or whatever. But I believe that there are people that are deliberately playing a role of what they pretend we are, right? Like they play the cartoonish identity of what they claim the right is or the left are what we are as misinformation, independent journalists. Right. And I think that that's used whether again, Brandy would be aware of that or not, but it's like this easy game to play that instead of listening to Derek Rose and his analytical breakdown of the information, she hears the topic and she thinks that other person, right. Or, or, or frames it as that other person that is the cartoonish truth light version of what you do, you know? So what, to what degree do you think that's a part of what's happening? I, I a hundred percent agree that that's what's happening. I mean, I, I can't say, you know, like you said, I can't confidently and with the paper that shows their CIA contract point to the different people and say, this is somebody and we never will. I mean, I don't think we'll ever get a, a piece of you know document unless some major leak like that was to happen and who would believe it. Right. Um, but absolutely. We know from plenty of other document dumps from WikiLeaks and Snowden and others that they have, they being various governments around the world, the five eyes nations, Israel, others, have whole units dedicated to creating fake online personalities. And I don't mean just the trolls that have zero followers on Twitter, but I mean, they, in their own documents, say Twitter accounts, YouTube accounts, Facebook accounts of content creators. And so maybe it could be a voice that you never actually see the person and that's CIA agent feeding you disinfo, or it could even be a person that shows you their face. But absolutely, I do think that that is a part of this. And that the whole goal is, as you said, to muddy the waters. And then, of course, it, the QAnon and all that stuff, it just poisons the well and it gives... Right. Brandy Zadrozny, whether she's conscious of, oh, my buddies in the CIA are spreading this fake information and I can pick it up and report on it. Or if she's just like, you know, also a sort of a clueless victim and like, oh, look, here's the CIA with the real truth. Those people are obviously mm-hmm. fake. And since she has this authority bias, she's just going to go along with it. You know, right. And, and neither of us are trying to give her a pass on, you know, she's accountable yeah. for her choices or lack thereof. But nonetheless, she still may buy into the BS, which I think a lot of people in those positions do. I, I think so. And that's what I was saying before is like, it's hard for me after having spoken to her and even kind of revisiting this article to really tell like, man, is she, is she genuine? Because again, in the beginning, I felt like just the kind of little chatters were getting ready for the interview. I'm like, okay, there seems to be a person there. She's talking to me like a person, but also it, it was clear to me, especially as we kind of wrap, get to the end of this article that when the way that that conversation ended, she, I mean, she even said, she's like, you're good, Derek, you're good. Like in this kind of, where she didn't expect me to be good. You know, she expected to like get on the call with me and I was going to be some crazy loon screaming about Satanism and she was going to get a free article that week or something. Right. And instead she's like, I don't know. So how do you take that? How do you take that? Cause to me, I can't, I wasn't there. I, you know, just the way you presented it right there with the facial expression and the way it sounded, if that's it, that seems like to me, she's like, you know, respect we're both manipulators like i see you're good at, at lying about you know like that that's how that felt like because clearly she still thinks that this story is like i i mean i again like i said to before she would have if this was about let's flush this out and then put an article about what you know whether or not there's validity here then it would have come out 
unless it was only about trying to disprove a kind of a thing. And so I don't know. How do you take it? That she was saying that you were good at hiding it or that you're good. And she it turns out you impressed her and you're an honest person. Like, I, you know, where I, think I don't know, you know, if she thinks that like, Oh, Hey, you're good at shoveling what she thinks is BS. I, yeah. I, the way I kind of felt and the way I took it is that almost like she felt like she met an equal in terms of like, oh, good. and just, just like intellectual, like, be, like I, I think that if this was somebody else who maybe isn't as well-versed and isn't as calm, like for example, an Alex Jones or somebody who gets extremely emotional very quickly, she mm -hmm. would have got what she was looking for. Right. She was trying right. to like see if I was going to be Alex Jones 2.0 and ranting and raving and screaming about Satanism and this and that, you know, or whatever. But instead, I'm pretty good at staying calm, especially when it's like things like this where I know there's a lot on the line. Like I know that it's not just me that I'm representing, that if I had gone on and shown up and said some crazy things or just like, you know what, hold on, let's get far into speculation and leave the facts behind, which is what they always want you to do so they can right. say, here's your theory of this or that thing. Not only would they have tried to taint me, they would have tried to paint, uh, taint T-Lab and right. who knows what else, right? Just in general, there might have been a whole profile about this crazy person and all the people he works with and this whole network. And, but instead, she met a reasonable, rational, rational person who said, hey, here's some facts and here's some data and here's some people I've talked to. Why is this not worth discussing? And I think that's why she kind of just at the end just kind of resigned to like, all right, we're not getting anything out of this guy. you know. Right. And here we are. 10 months later and nothing's come out about me and I, maybe it still will, but, and I've been tagging her in these articles and these videos and stuff. So she knows, like she clearly is seeing this stuff and she hasn't responded. She hasn't emailed me anymore. But the last thing I want to just kind of hint on, cause we've touched on it a couple of times is that authority statement that she, mm -hmm. she really did. We kind of read it earlier. I'll read it again, where she said, we have to, uh, I think it's in terms of coverage. What's important is that one, someone with some sort of authority feels that they are real and that these are allegations we should look into. And so again, she says, I believe people inherently, especially I'm a woman and a mother. My inclination is to believe people, but I also think we have a bar to reach on the other side before we go straight to believing them and to publishing and promoting what they're saying. And this is kind of what we were talking about. Like, I agree. I don't just publish anything that any random person emails me and claims that is happening to them. We didn't do that. We took the time. I talk, took the time for weeks and probably months to talk to, to Kate behind the scenes before, as you know, Ryan, before we ever published anything. So do I have pictures of Kate being abused by people in her families? No, I don't. But I have enough evidence of the first claims that she did know David Hamlin and that David Hamlin is accused of these things and his what circles accused of these things. What he's admitted to, right? I mean, these are it's exactly. not like he's an innocent person. But I also point out this is where the whole concept of question everything comes into play. What she's doing is playing this game where if it's not something that you have some authority backing for, then you dismiss it. That's, and that's ridiculous. What we're saying is, well, no, you can, you can have a bar for whether something is in your mind, something that's proven, but it doesn't mean you then just drop it. If you don't meet that bar, you investigate. That's what a journalist's job is not waiting for some higher authority to tap you and say, go ahead. You know what I mean? Like the job of the journalist is to go forward regardless, especially when the authority says no. That's what journalists are supposed to do. You know, so it's, it's like exactly. I, I don't think she even realizes that that contradiction contradiction. You know, that's what I would think. I tried to point it out. Look, and I'll just read this kind of last line because I felt like like you said, I, I was ending the conversation. I'm like, I don't think she's fully grasped what just mm -hmm. happened here that like I exposed her hypocrisy. So I had to like kind of spell it out to her. And I said at one point, I said, I think it's odd and sad and interesting to hear that it takes a person of authority to say something for it to matter and that people want to be sympathetic and listen when people have stories to share. I don't, and I, I basically said, 
but I, you know, I don't think it's it's important. I don't think it's good to just blindly trust anybody. But I don't think it's a good idea to just dismiss people offhand because their story doesn't line up with what I believe. You know, because right. that's not how journalism works. Like you, we all have our biases and our preconceived um, notions of how the world works and what is real and what isn't. Satanists don't exist in her her uh, reality. Cults don't exist. This is all just the satanic panic of the '80s. And so, if somebody comes to her and says, "Look, you're a journalist. You got NBC reach. Like, I need your help." Uh, I, I have this story. Can you please look into it? Her, her, I guess, inclination would be to dismiss them or to not even bother if that's, you know, if the, the topic of cults or rituals or Satanism or whatever comes up. And um, yeah. And so I told her again at the end, I said, look, whatever you do, please just don't make an article making fun of me and making fun of the people who are researching this. And I told her, I said, because that's what people expect. That's why so many people don't trust them in NBC or mainstream media because they see things like that. Mm -hmm. And I told her that we've played fact checkers in our own communities and that we do the best to stick with what we know. But on the other side, the other extreme is that just discounting everything because we don't have the documents. And I said, as journalists, I think it's our job to provide context to help people uh, provide stories better. And so I did try to give her a little bit of a lesson at the end there. Good. And to the point you've made many times is the ridiculous part of this is there is, in fact, an authority that has supported this, which is the Utah Sheriff's Department. It has literally gone so far as to continue this investigation to this day, as I understand it, that is based on factual information and they've made arrests. So think about how absurd it is for her to still maintain that that's not something that has been acknowledged as reality with factual basis. And again, to reiterate, question everything. It doesn't mean dismiss everything. It means question it, but entertain all possibilities. That's what she should be doing. Right. So it's just it's very depressing. But, you know, it's good that this is highlighted because it shows people whether they realize it themselves or not, that they are literally just waiting for some kind of allowance from people, the very people who they're historically supposed to be speaking truth to. So it's just kind of frustrating to see that that's but, you know, but it's a good moment as much as it's a horrible thing to see that they're doing this. It's a moment that I think is positive because I agree with you that I think most everybody sees this today in one section or part of this narrative to, to, to a degree or not. But I think, or, or I think everyone sees it to a degree. I just think that it's based on the categories, right? I think the Israel conversations expose that everybody has their blind spots to certain things, but this is important because we all seem to know at some level that we're being lied to. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I'm glad we're doing this just kind of highlight of this uh, interview, Ryan, I appreciate it because the reason I, you know, the reason I put out the video finally, as I said, is because I felt like, look, this can't just sit in my hard drives. Like, there's some really crucial piece. Like, I feel like this could be used in a class on disinformation and misinformation and fact checking and journalism and just study. Like, because as I mentioned in there, this woman is definitely getting paid way better than both you and I as NBC yeah. senior reporter. But this is her logic. This is her kind of thinking, you know. But she's got degrees in journalism and she's got titles, and we're just some crazy conspiracy theorist at home or whatever, right? That's where the way a lot of people think about these things. Unfortunately, she's being paid the big bucks, but she has made it clear she doesn't believe um, she doesn't believe women if they talk about things she doesn't agree with. She's going to sit around and wait for an authority to tell her something's real. And uh, in the end, the way the conversation wrapped up and is just and just to let you guys know, I am still following this case. There will be more articles about the Utah case. As I mentioned, there was a, another arrest. And here we are one year after David Hamlin was arrested and there's still been no trial. There's a lot of people very suspicious about why that's taken place and mm -hmm. why it's been dragging his feet. Some people are very worried. We're going to end up seeing the same thing we saw in 2012, where the case against him gets dismissed after no evidence being able to be not that the evidence doesn't exist, but that they're having difficulty getting it to trial. So mm -hmm. I'm going to be following that up. And when I told Brandy Zadrozny that 
And I, I, she's like, are you going to go to Utah? I, she seemed very interested in where I lived and where I was going to be going. I will say that as well. I let her know, like, look, I might, I might go to Utah and I might cover that because to me, this is an important story, even if some people don't think it's worth talking about. And that's when she said, oh, you're good, Derek. You're good. And that was kind of where the conversation ended. So take with it what you will. I, I just think it was important enough to write about and to kind of flesh out fully so yeah. people can really yeah. grasp the lessons in there. I absolutely agree. I, I think that it's just generally important to see how, you know, there's gatekeepers involved in all this, whether they realize it or not, you know? And I think that's always important to remember that, you know, what we're talking about here is the, is the, the, the uh, fourth branch, right? That's what we're really talking about. And the idea that a lot of people don't realize for that point being the fourth branch, of the government, right? the, the idea fourth estate, it's really clearly the media has been weaponized and possibly always was a, a arm of the government. Right. And it's just a controlling aspect of our lives. And we all, at the very least, are able to see it on the other side of the two party paradigm. Right. You know, it's like, oh, it's them. That side lies. You know, it's, so my point is that we all are able to see it to a certain lens, but we all know at some level that they are there to control our perception. And yet it all just seems to kind of stumble forward, you know, but I'm, 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 I'm seeing more and more that people are ready to challenge these things today. It's just about as you're doing, trying to kind of juxtapose it in the way that gets people to recognize that not only is it there and that it's wrong, but that we're capable of changing it. And I really believe that. And I, I just hope more people can see that. And that's actually a good segue into the next discussion we were going to get into, which is what your, your attempts to try to do that through the system, or at least highlight that the system itself is broken so much that it's not possible to do that. And so that what we, we wanted to talk about your we actually recently had an interview discussing this i titled running for change in a broken and corrupt system and we wanted to talk today about your basically what happened since then and the lawsuit and so on so go ahead and start from there so last we left off you were still hoping that this would happen that they would allow this to happen even you know obviously you have every right to but and ultimately that you were removed from the ballot essentially or not allowed on right so go ahead and start there yeah yeah, it looks like we probably recorded that interview just about a week before the uh, the ballot deadline, which was August 21st. And so just to recap real briefly, I started running for mayor of Houston in January and we were campaigning for months. I had endorsements. I showed up in some of the local polls. We were definitely building a movement of people. And I ran in 2019 before with no issue. But this time, when it came to filing the ballot application to become official, I did that on day one. And a couple of days later, I received a letter from the mayor of Houston who I've confronted plenty of times and who is featured in my documentary on 5G for his connections to big wireless. He sent a letter from his office rejecting my ballot application. And they are basically, they interpreted Texas election code, which is written in a very ambiguous way to say that even though I ran before, I'm not qualified or not allowed to run this time because I have a felony from 18 years ago, a nonviolent drug possession felony from when I was 20 years old. And uh, in Texas, Texas is one of dozen states or so that does not give you your right to run for office once you get uh, out of prison and you complete your time, which again, I think in our society, most people have this kind of false notion that if you pay your debt to society, you go do your time, then you come out and life is better. And, you know, we all reaccept you and everything, but clearly more and more people realize like as a felon, it's hard to get a job. Sometimes it's hard to get uh, rented and get housing. So there's all those things, but I've been blessed that because I'm an independent journalist, I don't have to worry about the job part as much. Hmm. And, you know, the housing hasn't always been a big a challenge. But coming back to Houston, coming to run, now all of a sudden I'm facing this. And so they did deny me from the ballot. Um, after we spoke, I had um, all the other candidates release a, a letter that we, pub we publicized throughout the city of Houston. I had all the other mayoral candidates saying they didn't have any problem with me running. They were right. supportive of me running. We had people flooding them with phone calls and emails. 
I had my attorney, of course. I had the local media reporting on it pretty much down to the wire. And on August 21st at 5 p.m., they they officially rejected me from the ballot. And so it's been two months now since then. The election is just in a couple of days on November 7th, Tuesday. So, you know, all that's said and done. But as I mentioned during that time that we realized that we had a lawsuit on our hands as well. And this wasn't really the fight I wanted to fight necessarily. You know, I came back to Houston from Mexico to try to make this move and run for mayor. And as I said last time, not because I necessarily desire to be the mayor of Houston, but to use the platform in a way to get these issues out there. And as you said, to kind of, while I'm doing it to highlight, Hey guys, look at the way they're screwing me over while I'm trying to do what we're supposed to do. I'm doing my civic duty. I'm playing the game, all that stuff. And so it's given me the opportunity to highlight (laughs) the problems within the system. And I, I sat on it for a couple of weeks and I had some supporters reach out and basically say, if you want to take on this fight, I will help you fund it. And so I decided like, all right, let's do it. And so we've been raising money. My lawyer estimates it's going to take fifteen dollars to $20,000 to do this. We officially filed last Monday in uh, uh, Texas court. So we're basically suing the state of Texas. We're going to try to take it up to the federal court. It might eventually make it to the Supreme Court. This is going to be at least a year and a half of my life probably. You know, really from my end, I don't have to do much. I've already filled out the paperwork and done everything. It's going to be just like, legal battles in terms of paperwork back and forth, right? That's kind of how these things work out. Which but the point is this for the average person, right? Like it's just yeah, this is I mean, not something most people can even do, you know? I will tell you this, man. Look, I, so what I had to do, what I'm doing is as a felon, I am applying, you know, filing this lawsuit. Well that takes, as I said, fifteen to twenty thousand dollars. I don't know many felons or people who just or anybody who just has that money to throw at a lawsuit. So that's one barrier to kind of fight this. But then on top of that, as part of the lawsuit, I had to go back and fill out what's called the restoration of rights, basically fill out this application to the state, which if anybody knows me, that kind of makes me throw up in my mouth a little bit, having to ask the government, like, please give me my rights back as if they've got them in some shelf somewhere and they're going to give them back to me. It's like, we all know I have my rights to live as a free person, but they control the systems. They control the courts and the, the, the elections. So as far as they're concerned, my right to run for office is in some drawer somewhere at Texas state government. And if I fill out the right paperwork and if I send them three letters from friends, telling them that I'm a good person, then maybe they'll take it out of the drawer and they'll give it back to me. And like, it's just so demoralizing. And, and not only that though, that process costs $120 just to get the printed paperwork from the state. Like it's a lot to do just to get to the point where I'm at now where I've filed the lawsuit and I haven't won anything yet. Right. So I can understand how that's just another way, another barrier to entry to keep out people from running. Nonetheless, We have filed, and in the last week, I've got uh, the Houston Chronicle reported on it, the Houston Public Media, Fox 26 Houston had me on again. They had me on a couple months ago when it was first starting to talk about this. So we are generating coverage. That's Houston Public Media right there. And the beautiful thing is, again, like I said, okay, I'm not on the ballot. I'm uh, I am not able to con- you know to to try to win for mayor, but still, nonetheless, the issues. And not only you know this this issue of felons, it's not my main issue. Obviously, I am a felon. But the reason I tried to take it on, as I said, because people wanted to fund it, but more specifically, Ryan, you know, I think in our, in our movements, and I say that broadly, sometimes we get in this little bubble and running for office locally really does. Mm -hmm. It's like this way to help me get out of that bubble because we talk to people who are just regular people who are like, is the city going to come pick my trash up on time? Is somebody Mm going to fix the flooding on my block? Like things that aren't, they don't rise to the level of Utah ritual abuse or Palestine, you know, genocide. But these are issues that matter to people in the day-to-day, right? right? And how do we connect and reach that person who has no idea about Rumble or Rockfin or any of this stuff? Like, how do I meet? Well, I have to go where they're at. They're not going to come find mm-hmm. me. I have to go where they are. 
So I'm going to forums. I'm going to local debates and civic meetings and neighborhood meetings and talking to all kinds of people. And I will say that we've gotten so much more respect from people that I haven't stopped campaigning because even though people are like sympathetic that we got kicked off the ballot for the last two months, we've continued to campaign. We've continued to show up to promote the ideas that I was promoting as a candidate. So even though I'm no longer on the ballot and nobody can vote for me, we have continued to show up. And I'll tell you what, that probably gained the respect of way more people in this city just for the fact that even though I lost and I was kicked off the ballot, that we haven't given up and we haven't stopped showing up. I've heard that from so many people that they respect what we're doing. And now that the media is reporting on this case, now people are paying attention. And so um, the lawsuit has been filed. Nothing has been done yet. We're basically waiting for a, a response from the state. I will say we fully expect this first kind of round to be denied and we're going to have to appeal. Mm-hmm. It's going to go through that kind of process. Our goal is to get it up to the circuit courts because as the way that my attorney has explained it to me is that really the circuit courts are the ones that can rule on the law. And so what we're trying to do is basically say that the Texas election code, which says that if you have been uh, uh, found guilty of a felony, you must be relieved of all resulting disabilities. We talked about this last time and that that wording, nobody really knows what it means. What we're arguing is that the Texas election code conflicts with the U.S. Constitution, which says that you have the First Amendment right to freedom of speech and the U.S. uh, the First Amendment uh, protections of freedom of association. Those two rights, freedom of speech and freedom of association, are have been seen in other court cases as vested in like as part of the kind of the right to run for office. Like people Mm -hmm. have the right to associate with me by voting for me and I have the right to express myself by running for office. And so we're arguing that as well as that the Texas state constitution itself protects these rights and that this election code is in conflict with both of them. So it will be a big, uh, a big lawsuit. If we end up winning, it will change Texas law and it would, whether I decide to ever run for office again. And this is again, why I'm doing it because I meet regular people who are felons who are dealing with this way more than I am. Like people who are out there fighting in the community and they're, you know, they don't have the benefit of being an independent journalist. So they've had Mm -hmm. to struggle to find jobs and struggle to find housing. And some of them, there's one gentleman that comes to my mind right now, are doing great things in their community, and maybe he might decide to run for office. And if I yeah. beat this lawsuit, he would he would be allowed to do that. So it's not going to bring down the New World Order or anything like that, but it is going to hopefully defeat a bad law that is preventing people from running the system. And again, yes, I think this system's broken. I'm an anarchist. I don't think running the system is the way. I've had some people like, yeah, we need to fix things within the system. That's not why I'm running. I don't think right. I'm going to fix things within the system. I am running to reach new people. I ran to reach new people. I'm doing this lawsuit to reach new people and to expose the flaws in it. And yes, if in some small way, it makes life a little bit easier for some other person and it's one less barrier to entry for felons in Texas, then I'll take that. Fully Mm -hmm. knowing that, you know, that it's not going to be, this isn't pushing me towards my ultimate goal, but it is in my mind, it's at least showing cracks in the facade of this system and showing people the truth. I can tell you without a doubt that, since I've been campaigning in January and since I've been here in Houston full time since June, so many people have told me their eyes have been awoken to mm-hmm. the local races and the corruption and just how the politics really work. So I believe we've achieved our goal of running for office and getting a message out there and injecting you know, ideas. We made COVID part of the conversation. We made taking away the power of the mayor part of the conversation. And now my lawsuit is bringing felons rights to the conversation. So we yeah. do have a fundraiser going on if anybody's interested. Uh, I'll share that link real quick. And this is just, again, this is all going towards my, my legal fund. It's not going to buy me a house or a car or anything like that. And all the money is just going straight to the lawyer fundraiser.com slash bros lawsuit. I just shared the link there. If you want to show that. Um, and yeah, and, and five, 10 bucks, anything helps. I appreciate it. I know there's a lot of causes to give to right now. So I totally understand. 
But if anybody would like to be a part of defeating a bad law in Texas, that's how you can help me out. And I'm going to be kind of, in addition to all my journalism and everything else I do, that's going to be going on in the background of my life, I'm imagining, for the next year or so. And before we uh, actually end with that so people can see that, I wanted to make a point in regard to, you know, during this discussion we recently had, we made a bunch of these points at this time about how, and as you, as you pointed out, that you effectively had altered one of these larger talking points in the conversation of what was it, that, that alone is a powerful win, you know, or the idea that as I, I, I genuinely believe that what, did, what Mike, well, first of all, what did you end up with before they, what was your per- current polled percentage before they officially pulled you? So the last poll that came up when I was still in the race was in June and they kicked me out by August. So, you know, obviously there was probably some fluctuation in there, but that last poll showed that 7% of likely voters in the city, uh, which is, you know, 7% of 200,000 average voters, it's still tens of thousands of people that would have voted for me. And I believe had I not been removed, I mean, I know for a fact, if I was on the ballot these final two months, myself and my team would be, we'd be out there fighting just as hard as we have been. And instead of promoting the issues, we'd be telling people about me. They just released a new poll a couple of weeks ago, and I believe if I was still in the race and on that poll, I definitely would have made some of these televised debates, which was what my yes. goal was. And, and this is my entire – whether it's because they're terrified of what you'll say if given that stage or the simple fact that it's showing that they are not in control uh, to, to a degree they want over the outcome – seven percent is important i mean any election will tell you that like two three percent that that's relevant at least in the sense that you're recognized not that you may win but so the moment that you started to show that you were gaining traction that's why in my opinion this was pulled get him out of here right like that that's exactly oh we'll we'll pull up something about the felony even though we let him run last time you know it's, it's just obviously to get you off the stage in my opinion so i think that's really important seven percent man that that's a powerful win just in and of itself and I would also point out that, you know, talking about the you were discussing like the state and the, the, the election laws versus the Constitution. It's just so important to think about whether it's the federal government or even the state. We have I always cite Mary, Mayberry versus Madison. I think it's 1891. But there's a lot of different precedents set that simply make it clear if it's repugnant to the Constitution, it is null and void. It doesn't matter what legal processes they go through. If every person in Congress agrees with it, if it's repugnant to the Constitution, it's null and void. And that people tend to misunderstand this. And it gets to the core point about the fact that these are inherent rights, not something documented. So it, the idea that people often point to the Bill of Rights. And the point is, if you carefully read through every one of those, not a single one of those contradict the original Constitution. It's all part of the larger body. Right. So since then, when you try to make a law that says guns are illegal, well, no, that's repugnant to the Constitution. It's illegal. So what I think is interesting is you're touching on these ideas that the current election laws in Texas are, con- are you're arguing contradictory to the constitution and i think this is such a running this is through everything in our country right now it's constant where this is happening so hopefully this will open that box too and we'll start to recognize whether it's state or federal that we have our government who is losing getting out of control or is already out of control so i hope people can pay attention to this they'll pay more attention to what you did here and hopefully it'll as you said drive more people to take this action you know i hope like that's i think it's such a joke that you and i often talk about well like the presidential election where we come down to you know, one left, one right, the same old thing. Half of them tend to be connected in ways that we won't get into to scare the conspiracy theorists away. You know, like there's so many, it's just always this joke about it ends up being the same thing when, as we often point out, the majority of people in this country, the largest voting block are people that don't even involve themselves in the election and people involved in the election, the largest within that is independent. And yet we all still act like it's all just supposed to be this way. And I hope people are really starting to question these things. So thank you for doing this work, man. I, I, it's, it's awakening people to these lies. I believe that. 
I appreciate that, brother. The last thing I'll say is just to kind of echo what you said there. Oh, you know, I've been realizing. Yeah, go ahead. I've been realizing more and more lately that um, the what's happening in Houston, and this might be the case all over the country or at least the major cities, but what's happening in Houston right now during this election season is literally a reflection of the national election scene. So you have Biden, you have Trump. We have numerous polls showing that nobody is excited about this election. They're in their 70s, going into 80 years old, right? The two leading candidates, one of who is going to win this race, man, unfortunately, are the two career politicians, John Whitmire, who's been in office for 50 years, and Sheila Jackson Lee, who's been in office for 35 years. John Whitmire is more than likely going to win. He's spending $10 million on this race, man. $10 million in the city of Houston. The other, uh, she's spending three, four, five million. And still, and this is the sad part, and the sad and sort of like maybe a little hopeful, even with all that money spent, all that time, all the ads, all the billboards that they put in, they can't get 200,000 people to show up to vote in a city of three and a half million people. They can barely get 200,000 people to show up. So that's why I ran, because in my mind, there's an opportunity to totally mess up their system. If you could just get a little bit more people, not necessarily to believe in it, but to say, let's throw a wrench into their system for a little bit. And that's what I was doing. Unfortunately, they blocked me. Uh, Thanks for giving me time to share about it. That lawsuit is there, guys. If anybody can give to it, I greatly appreciate it. This is just another way to shake up the system. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity. So thank you, brother. Yeah. Hey, my pleasure. And I'll just add to uh, to wrap it at the end. You know, I I know there's a lot out there, uh, you know, people asking for donations, money to support Lahaina or people in Palestine. There's a lot of things for money to go to. But I'll argue one reason why I think this is important. You think about, you know, obviously we, we need your support for this because this is not something we individually can can manage. Right. So if you're out there and you believe in what Derek's doing, there's a value to this to, to accomplishing bringing this potentially to the circuit, but even more to the Supreme Court and making a point that we as people have power over the government, which is what they always tell us is the reality and showing that in at least this one way that we can acknowledge and we can highlight that they're weaponizing the system to stop real change, which is what they always pretend they're trying to do. I quite frankly find that to be very important. So here it is. And I'll include this for anybody out there that wants to support it. Thank you for, oh, and I, I actually did want to make sure people just saw in general that you've got a lot of other great work that's recently come out. Five ways your privacy is under attack, how to protect it, which is the important part about this. A similar one about health, same thing, five ways and how to protect it. Um, and then I thought there was, uh, oh, and I just include all the links to all the other work that you have on here. Make sure you check out his his threads or his, his series on these different topics. It's very important work. So thank you for what you do, Derek. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Yeah. And as always, everybody out there, Come question everything as always come to your own conclusions. Talk to you next time, guys. Stay vigilant.